Um, what people think they know about polio, they have no idea. What, what, when they think the vaccine eradicated polio, they have no idea what really happened. Welcome to the What Up Doc University podcast, your number one resource for total body wellness. Here's your host, Dr. Mike. Aloha, welcome back to the What Up Doc University podcast. This is Dr. Mike, and we are in episode 19. Episode 19, and this is part two of the vaccination SB277 talk that we had with Dr. Tyson Perez. Without further ado, let's get into it. Well, certainly there's a profit motive, right? I mean, these, these vaccine makers, it, it's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry that, that's going up substantially worldwide every year. There's certainly a profit motive. Um, I think the pediatricians are well-intended for the most part, uh, mm-hmm. but obviously there is a profit motive there too, because what is the primary thing that the pediatricians do on the so-called well baby checkups? I mean, they, they go in and they do their vaccines, right? They, they do measure the head circumference and length and all and weigh the baby, but that stuff can be done on, you know, on, on a parent's, a parent could go down to, to any, you know, baby store and do that on their own. It's not a big deal. So, it, there is a profit motive there, but I think the pediatricians are very, very well intentioned. Um, I think they, just like if you remember in school, we got so much information. It was hard. And when you're in school, going out and, and researching things independently is is almost impossible because you're just, you're throwing so much information that you have to learn and study and take tests on. These medical doctors, they, same thing. I mean, they are just they're just slammed with information. And, and so they're trained essentially. So it's very difficult for many of them to go in to educate themselves independently because they just, they need to get through school and need to pass boards and then pay off their student loans. So it becomes very, very difficult, especially if they're in the insurance model. Um, they have to get through these patients as fast as possible. So it, they don't really have the time necessarily to go and study this issue in depth. I think they're very well intentioned. I just think they're very, um, very misinformed because a lot of the education comes from their instructors or from the, the pharmaceutical companies who who actually donate to these medical schools and fund a lot of the research that's going on. So you know they can't really go against uh, the hand that feeds them, right? Yeah. Uh, if they were to, if they were to do that, they the, particularly the medical schools. I mean, they would they would lose their funding and and everything would be turned upside down. So th- there is a huge profit motive involved. Um, I don't think it's I don't think they're, uh, they're trying to do anything bad intentionally to the children, the pediatricians at least. Um, they just don't have the, the resources in order to educate them, themselves independently. Yeah. So now that uh, SB 277's passed, um, what do you, wh- one, what do you think is going to happen in California, if not nationwide? Um, and, and what do we, people who, who oppose this, you know, this bill, what do, what do we need to do? Well, people may are pretty aware that what happens in California tends to migrate to the rest of the states. Um, so this is a battleground right now. Mm-hmm. And there, this is going to be challenged because there's some constitutional issues involved with this SB 277, both state and federal constitution issues here. Um, in California, you know, constitutionally, children are are um, provided the right to a quote-unquote free education, right, or a public education. So 
So there's going to be some major constitutional challenges to this. Um, gosh, I, I'm still holding out hope that this thing is going to get overturned. There's a referendum now put out that they're going to see if this thing can get um, they get delayed at least until the next election. So I don't know where it's going to go, um, but it, it is definitely concerning. Uh, the, there are still some loopholes available for, for parents. Homeschooling is an option, but that's not an option for everybody. I, I just learned of one option that, that it looks like if, if the classroom, in-person classroom time, meaning going to the actual classroom and congregating with the children, is less than 80% of, of the entire school week, then they'll still qualify for an exemption. So they'll be exempt from this SB 277. So I'm still looking into that. It, it, it's a little bit vague right now because this is brand new. This yeah. is hot off the press, right? People are, are just going wild over this right now. So how mm. it plays out, nobody knows. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I don't have a, a, a good idea of what's going to happen. If it gets too crazy, though, I, I already know parents that are leaving the state and leaving the country. I mean, especially these military families because they have options to, to be stationed other places. So I have heard from a few of these families that they're, they're intentionally leaving the state because of this bill. <clears throat> so now let's say, you know, a parent says, hey, doc, um, I've done my research and I feel more comfortable with vaccinating my child. What would you recommend to them? I would say as long as you ha- you're making an informed choice, awesome. Do what you feel is best, right? I never tell the parents do this or don't do that. In my practice, I have parents that fully vaccinated according to the CDC schedule, to par- parents that give no vaccines and everything in between. So I just provide resources for them through, I mean, I have tons of books on it that I provide them or I do my workshops. So I just provide the information and whatever they decide, awesome, great. You do what you think is best for your child. Um, you know, I would, when I do my workshops, I tell them to consider certain things, certain, for instance, genetic factors. If you have certain mutations within certain genes, you can be more predisposed to vaccine injury. So you may want to do something like 23andMe, where you get some mm-hmm. genomic testing done to see if you, if your child may be more susceptible to certain vaccine adverse events. Um, I also want them to consider things like a history of autoimmune disease in their family, uh, which can predispose a child to m- more risk of adverse events. Um, as well as obviously a prior reaction to a vaccine. Uh, I, I've had a number of parents who had a, their child had a bad reaction to a vaccine, and then they're like, okay, maybe it was just a one-time thing, and then they did it again, and they had a more severe reaction. So pay attention to what's going on and really second, you know, really think about you know, giving another vaccine after a bad reaction because it could escalate from there. Um, I also tell them to consider things like if the child is severely ill, do not you know, really, really consider delaying that vaccine until the child is better because the immune system is already overwhelmed with that particular illness. You introduce another immune challenge with the vaccine and potentially that child can go downhill. Um, consider things as well like antibiotics. You know, antibiotic use predisposes to increased risk of certain vaccine injuries. Um, and one of the things I really, this is a big one too, and and it's a very common practice, and it's very commonly recommended um, for parents to give Tylenol either before and or after vaccines. Tylenol can significantly predispose a child to a bad adverse to an adverse reaction from a vaccine. And you know, I don't want to get too deep onto the science, but basically, it can deplete the body of things like glutathione, which is a detoxifier, 
and it can enhance the chances that that vaccine can cause a, a major problem in the child. So if you do decide to vaccinate, really consider not using the, the Tylenol around the time of the vaccine to try to squash the fever or, or relieve some of the pain. So those are some of the things I talk about with parents. Um, I also talk about, you know, optimal neurological function. The higher functioning, optim- the, the better the neurological system is functioning, the more they can adapt to whatever stressors, including chemical stressors like vaccines, um, are introduced. So if a child is neurologically clear, they have a better chance of coming through that vaccine without any issues. A child that has major neurological compromise, their ability to adapt to those chemical stressors is depleted. So, you know, look at that as well. And that's, you know, basically our specialty, right, is looking right. at that neurological part of it. And there's nobody else that does that. Um, we're the only ones. <clears throat> you know, uh, it I just came to my mind. Um, I wanted to d- kind of discuss this part. Uh, there's been so much so much talk about vaccinations and eradication of certain diseases and how like, okay, once we instituted uh, the polio vaccine and smallpox, we've eradicated those diseases. What, what have you, what have you seen as far as like the correlation and the research uh, behind the implementation of the vaccines and uh, of those vaccines and the eradication of the, those diseases? Yeah. So first of all, there's, there's a little bit of some misinformation in both the pro and the and the and what would be considered the anti-vax community. I don't consider myself anti-vax. I'm pro-natural immunity. But you know, for general purposes, that people consider pro-vax versus anti-vax, there's a general mis, uh, some misinformation that diseases were necessarily on the de- decline prior to vaccines. Now, for absolutely for sure, the mortality rate, which is the death rate from diseases were on a huge decline during uh, prior to the vaccine. So once the vaccines were introduced, there had already been a significantly steep drop off in mortality from from death from things like measles and diphtheria and all sorts of these other uh, communicable illnesses. So that needs to be understood that when we're talking about the decline, um, we're specifically talking about decline in mortality prior to vaccines. Was there also decline in actual um, disease in like actual display of symptoms of disease, yes, there was, but not in all diseases. So that um, so don't I don't want people to confuse the difference between the getting the the illness versus the mortality from the illness. The mortality was on a significant decline prior to the introduction of the vaccines. The the history I tell you what the most one of the most fascinating books that I've ever read is called Dissolving Illusions by Suzanne Humphreys and, mm. and Roman um, Brzezinski. I don't even know how to say his last name. He's a, he's a friend of mine, but I, I can't even say his last name. But it's called Dissolving Illusion, and it goes in-depth on the history of both the smallpox and the polio vaccine and, and the illness. And you would be shocked when you look at the actual data put out by the countries and by the, by the researchers at the time, what actually went on with both smallpox and polio. Uh, what people think they know about polio they have no idea. What, what, when they think the vaccine eradicated polio, they have no idea what really happened. And if, if people want to just dip their toe into this information, go to Google right now and type in Cutter Incident, C-U-T-T-E-R Incident, and you'll see what happened when they first introduced the polio vaccine into the population in the mid-50s. Essentially, a bunch because they didn't kill it off well enough, they paralyzed a bunch of people and they killed um, a couple dozen of them from a an error in the polio manufacturing. So it, it's a fascinating history, and I mean, there, the book is is pretty large. So to go into it in detail, I can't. But 
it's, I just, I, I guide people there because it's such a, a valuable resource uh, to look at the actual data and what actually happened versus what you may just have thought you happened from some of the marketing that, that these, um, these people did. Perfect. Perfect. Great book recommendation, by the way. Um, what, what would be your recommendation? Uh, you have, you have a parent, first time parent, they got their newborn, they come to you and say, doc, what do you recommend? Um, what, what would be your recommendations for health? Health in general? Health in general. Well, I say, here's what I tell them. I say, well, first of all, you know, what you came to see me for and what I do is let's look at neurological function first and foremost, because we know that the central nervous system and, and the nervous system controls and coordinates everything in the body, including immune function. I just did a talk, an autism talk last week, and I talked to parents about how vital the nervous system is in coordinating immune function. Without the, without the nervous system, the immune function cannot coordinate and cannot function appropriately. So first and foremost, let's look at neurological function. Also, let's look at these different stressors. So when we're talking about stress on the child, we're looking at three types of stress, physical, chemical, and emotional, right? Physical stress, a good example of that is a C-section birth, puts a tremendous physical stress on the child when they have to take that child out of the, out of the mother's womb. So let's look at these stressors and, and see if they affected the neurological function or affected the child in any way. Chemical stressors, well, consider things like was mom, did mom take a vaccine during the pregnancy? Did mom take antibiotics during the pregnancy or birth? Has the child been given antibiotics? Um, yeah. Did mom have mercury fillings in her teeth you know, during the pregnancy? Um, is the child eating formula? All these things combine as, and they could potentially be chemical stressors, right? And then let's look at emotional stressors as well. And ideally, I would see the parent before they actually conceive, but at least during the pregnancy, and we can address these things early on before the child is born. That, that would be ideal. It doesn't always happen, but that would be definitely ideal because emotional stressors are big. And if mom has significant emotional stressors during the pregnancy, it can actually influence the health of the child later on, as well as emotional stressors that the child experiences after birth, things like getting poked, you know, with a bunch of needles or vaccines. Um, circumcision is a potential stressor for the child. Um, you know, there's, uh, if mom and dad are fighting, you know, in front of the child, those are emotional mm. stresses as well. So all of these things combine to affect the health of the child. So you've got to really look at the, the complete picture of everything that is going on. I, t I tell you what, um, just really quickly, I want to mention, there's some really interesting research on what it's called the Dutch hunger winter and then 9-11. Basically what they found is that Moms who are pregnant during these very traumatic events, like the Dutch Hunger Winter mm. and 9-11, their children were most predisposed to certain health issues. So these children hadn't actually been out of the womb, right? They, they didn't actually witness it with their eyes. But because mom was pregnant during the traumatic event and the stressful event, the, children was pre, the child was predisposed to certain health issues. And not only that, but their children's children were predisposed to health issues. So these things can be passed transgenerationally, right? So... What you do today doesn't only affect you, it can affect your future child and their future children. So we have to really look at our legacy and what we're doing today. Oh man, that's, yeah, you kind of... that too deep? That too deep? <laughs> that's too deep, bro. That's like, <laughs> you look at that and, and like, I, I think about, you know, myself, you know, I don't know if you think about yourself, but I'm like, what did, what did my ancestors do, you know, that... <laughs> 
and that that's culminated in in me um that you know what did all of our ancestors do that's affecting our own health today because we're seeing healthcare crises you know we're seeing all these diseases that are popping up that that they're saying we have no idea why this is happening and the crazier thing is that we're putting out all these pharmaceuticals now to try and solve these problems, which is only inducing even more problems. And, and we're, we're in a, we're in a huge crisis and, you know, but I never like to just look at the crisis. I always like to see, like, like to look at how there's, there's, there's a solution to all this and, and there's a positive side to all that, you know? And, and I think, you know, like what we're talking about through this whole time is there's an awakening, you know, people, people are becoming more educated, they're they're going into their doctor's office saying and having a little bit more information rather than bowing down to them and saying tell me everything i need to know and everything that you say i'm going to do um and, and but i think this this needs to take take place at a bigger and grander scale you know and um you know you know let, let's kind of cap cap this whole talk off with um how how does chiropractic tie into all of this? You know, how do we as chiropractors assist people in living their most optimal life? So when a parent comes into me, a lot of times they have no clue. They've just been referred. They heard, you know, this doc can help your child with, you know, X, whatever, whatever issue it is. Right. 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 What I, what I tell parents, I say, okay, what, your child has this issue, right? This symptom. What is the, the conventional approach for this symptom? Let's say it's acid reflux, right? What is the conventional approach? The parent will inevitably say, you know, a medication, right? That's, that's the most common approach. And sometimes surgery, but usually medication is the most common approach. And I say, yes, absolutely. That's the most common approach because what does it do? It, it squashes the symptoms it, and it covers up the symptoms. What I do here is extremely different from that. I want to get to these underlying, the underlying cause or causes of this particular health issue. And what we're going to do is we're going to look first and foremost at neurological function, and we're going to look at your ability to handle all these different stresses because there's no way to eliminate these different, the chemical, physical, emotional stresses. You're never going to eliminate them from your life, nor would you want to. You need these stresses to actually grow and develop. But what we want to do is we want to ensure that your child has the best potential to adapt to these stressors in a meaningful and positive way because if the child is not able to adapt to these stressors, they're, like they are, if, you, if they're symptomatic, what that means is that they've had enough stressors in their life where they're not able to fully adapt appropriately to those stressors. So we're going to increase the child's ability to adapt. We're going to increase the reserves. And the, I use the bucket analogy. I say, you know what? Your child has a bucket, and you're throwing all these stressors into it. And if the child has a really big bucket, no problem. They can handle these incoming stressors, and they can function and heal and develop properly. But if your child's bucket is small, then when you throw these stressors into it, it's going to spill out of the bucket much, much sooner. The spillover effect are the symptoms. And when you're subluxated, which means if there's any kind of short circuit between the brain and the body, and that's the term that we use, a subluxation, it will actually cause your bucket to shrink. It compromises your ability to adapt to the stressors of life. It compromises your child's ability to adapt to these incoming stressors. And if, they're, if they have compromised ability to adapt to these incoming stressors, their bucket's going to spill over and they're going to have issues, whether it's acid reflux or constipation or as, as detrimental as autism. So what I do is I increase the size of your child's bucket and give them the best chance to be able to handle life. I also educate them you know, on, on minimizing their stresses, but what I do in particular is just essentially increase the size of their adaptability 
increase the size of their bucket through restoring neurological communication. Perfect. I love that analogy, bro. Such a great analogy. Hey, bro, I wanted to thank you for taking time out of your day off, you know, and, and spreading this message to the entire world. Um, the world needs it at this time, you know, and, um, you know, with all this uh, issues surrounding this bill and, and, and our health and in our world. Um, any last words you wanted to leave with the audience? I just want to say, you know, thank Mike, thank you, Dr. Mike, for having me on today. And, you know, guys, just educate yourself. I think one of the greatest inventions that has come to parents is the Internet. Mm. And there are people that make fun of people. They say, oh, yeah, you found that on Google. Guess what? Google has all of the peer-reviewed scientific journals on there. So if you're making fun of people doing the research on Google, you're also making fun of the scientific literature, whether we're talking about Journal of the American Medical Association, whether we're talking about uh, The Lancet, whether we're talking about the Journal of Pediatric Maternal and, and Family Health, whatever journal you're talking about, it's online and you can find it. So there's tremendous information on the Internet. Don't let anybody ever tell you because you did your research on the Internet that you're somehow subpar. There, the best research is on there. So, you know, keep doing your homework, guys, and, and just trust your instincts. And that's what I always tell parents, just trust your instincts. Cool. <laughs> hey, um, you have a website, Twitter, Facebook. Yes. Yeah, so the, we have both Facebook and website and it's elevationfamilychiropractic.com. And the same thing for our Facebook is Elevation Family Chiropractic. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to contact me there, you know, feel free. Perfect. And, and, um, you guys, if you guys are around the area, you know, um, I know there's a lot of listeners out in San Diego area, please get your family adjusted and get your kids there, you know, cause you kids need it. And, and, and the reason why I, I stress this so much is because our kids are, you know, the was that Whitney Houston song, right? They are the future, right? And how, how we raise them up is what's going to be taking care of us in the future. So imagine that we're raising an, an army of, of well-educated, well-caring human beings. That's what we're going to be affected by and that's a legacy that we're going to live um so get your kids adjusted get them on the right track for health get them on the right mind frame we'll be good all right thanks, thanks for being on the uh, on the show today man thanks dr bike talk to you later all right Wow, what a great episode with dr tyson and we're talking about sb277 if you guys got some great information out of this Share this with your friends and family. Share this on social media. Tag us. Hashtag WDUP. Hashtag WDUP. Uh, looking forward to what you guys got to share. And uh, sh share with us some of the information that you took away from this. What, what were some of the key points? Um, with that said, head on over. Like, subscribe, rate us. If you feel like you want to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, please do. And we look forward to bringing you the next episode of the What Up Doc University podcast. This is Dr. Mike saying aloha.